Thank you for joining us for this podcast sponsored by the American Heart Association in support of the Mission Lifeline Initiative. My name is Jim Hassan and I am the Mission Lifeline Director in Western Pennsylvania. This podcast is part of the Mission Lifeline Educational Series supported through funding by the Jewish Healthcare Foundation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I encourage everyone to visit the Jewish Healthcare Foundation website at jhf.org to learn more about its mission and initiatives. If you are a Pennsylvania EMS professional, please be sure to register on our website, coneducation.com, that's C-O-N-E-D-U-C-A-T-I-O-N.com to obtain the Pennsylvania DOH-approved continuing education hours for this lesson. We are with Bruce McLeod, physician at West Penn, actually the medical director at West Penn ED, and the co-chairperson of Mission Lifeline at the American Heart Association of Western Pennsylvania. Welcome to the program, Dr. McLeod. Oh, glad to be here. Thanks a lot. So we're here to talk today a little bit about the early activation of STEMIs and what pre-hospital care providers are doing in the field, and then relating that to what goes on in the hospital, as well as how that changes the patient outcome potentially. It's really different. Than no, absolutely. I think that uh, there have been a number of changes that have happened over the past few decades. Uh, and probably the most important one, much like uh, how cell phones have changed our lives, I think the, the practice of doing pre-hospital 12 leads and ECGs in the field have really opened the door to really taking care of STEMI patients in a more integrative way. Uh, early on in my career, I was involved in some of the, in the review of the studies that looked at uh, whether doing pre-hospital 12 leads actually changed outcomes. And it became clear that um, when they did studies out in Seattle looking about uh, giving thrombolytics in the field, they found out that that didn't actually change outcomes. But what did change outcomes was whether they did a 12 lead. And I think that was a fundamental change. And what we're looking at now is taking the next step from beyond, going beyond just doing the 12 lead to actually integrating it with the rest of the healthcare system. And if I could spend a moment talking even first about um, what a system is. And a system is, you have to look at what your system is, is from whose perspective. And for, not unfortunately, just the way it began, taking care of STEMIs, ST segment elevation myocardial infarctions, was very much focused on what happened in the cardiac catheterization lab to start with. Then it extended into the emergency department. Now we're looking at it, and so you look, it's a matter of what perspective you want to look at the system. And the system initially was door to balloon, which is the door to the hospital to the balloon or the artery opening therapy. But that's really, if you think about it, though, what's the most important system focus we'd want to have? And the, the most important one would be from the patient's perspective, meaning from when the patient actually starts having their symptoms to the time they open their therapy, that's the system build we want to do ultimately. Well, uh, the most, uh, in, when you're looking at those time frames, the time from symptom onset to the time that they activate the medical system um, is kind of the patient time. And we're going to put that aside for right now. The focus now is from when they have first medical contact. And first medical contact is that first eyeballs that you put on the patient, whether they walk through a doctor's office, picked up by a paramedic, or walk through a hospital's emergency department, that's that first medical contact. We want to focus on that time from the time the patient chooses to activate us to the time they open it up. So part of that from the pre-hospital setting is that, okay, now you have a 12 lead. How do you take that and make the whole system go faster? And I think there's been, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to put this in perspective because I think probably mostly everybody listening has had some type of STEMI education. <laughs> to put this into perspective, we're talking about people having myocardial infarctions, which is some set, and then this is a subset of the STEMIs, and then those STEMIs have certain criteria. So it's really a small part of population maybe that EMS might see, but 
Why is there so much of a focus on it? Well, that, thank you. That's an excellent point, and I, it's one that bears repeating because, you know, there are myocardial infarctions where the heart is dying. ST segment elevation myocardial infarction actually references back to the electrocardiogram, which shows the ST segment, which are elevated, which implies an acute injury. And in that patient population, we have well-defined treatment guidelines. We know what to do. We know, how, and we know most importantly that time matters. It's the most important variable. So that patient population, we know they need to get to the cardiac catheterization lab. They need to have their artery opened as quickly as possible. Um, we've looked at the other myocardial infarctions that are non-ST segment elevation MIs, and there's not been data showing that you need to go to the cardiac catheterization lab right away. We do know if it's a STEMI, ST segment elevation myocardial infarction, those should go to the cath lab right away. And so that population, which is 10 to 15% of all myocardial infarctions, it's much smaller than all of them. Um, those patients need to go right away. And the faster you go, the better off the patient is. And I can think that's kind of it. They might be the smallest population, but they're the most recoverable. Is that a good term? Well, it's interesting. We found that initially ST-segment myocardial infarctions had a higher mortality, meaning they died more than non-STEMIs. But we have done so well as a health uh, across the country in terms of getting these folks to the cardiac catheterization lab that actually the mortality from STEMIs is now equal to and in some places less than those that have non-STEMIs. So the key is we know what to do with these patients. We know how to reduce their mortality. So we need to do that. How can we build this as a system? We have to take away the barriers. And this is one of the ways that we can do that. All right. So let's get into it a little bit. Okay. So first of all, we have to have if you think about the pieces of the system from the patient's perspective, and we'll do this from a paramedic coming to the field. So once a paramedic goes into the house, uh, those with experience know they can look at the patient. When, and if you've taken care of a myocardial infarction patient, especially a STEMI, they look sick. Vast majority of the time, yes, there are those that occasionally look unsick, but most of the time they look sick. The key is and the expectation and the standard is going to be that you're getting a 12 lead within five minutes of on scene. So you got to hustle. We're not taking the history. We're not talking about allergies. We're getting right to doing the 12 lead, whatever it takes to get that. Because that 12 lead, we found, is the ticket to ride. It, it greases the wheels. It smooths the system all the way down. And as soon as you get that 12 lead, what we want, and as it says acute myocardial infarction, or you read it as acute myocardial infarction, then we want you to activate the cath lab. And that's really going to be this. Uh, I think that's the best way to go. That's the way a uh, number of institutions, Western Pennsylvania, do it. And that's best practice right now is that as a trained professional in the pre-hospital setting, you see a ST segment elevation MI, you activate. Now, that means that you call command or you call the hospital, your destination hospital, and you say, I have a STEMI. At that time, they put out their call. Their cath lab comes in. Their interventional cardiologist comes in, even without any further report, they're on their way in while you're doing what you need to do. Because remember, you've been at the scene now for five minutes only. You've got work to do. You've got IV to put in. You've got things to do. You've got family to kind of get organized. You've got all that work to do there and get on the road. And what we want to do is we want to take things in, out of the serial function, but actually put them in parallel. So while you're responding to the hospital, the cath lab team is coming in. And in the emergency department, I'm preparing for you to come in so that by the time you hit, hopefully, if everything goes well, the cath lab team's already there and ready for you. You go right up to the cath lab. And it's just a buzz through the emergency department, not stopping there. And a quick question. I know in traumas in the past, we've always said there was a certain percentage of over triage that we would accept. 
is there the same thing in over assessing, say, a, a STEMI? Absolutely. And the number that's bandied about is about 15% overcalls across the country. And I think to the credit of the interventional cardiologists, they've, you know, sometimes get frustrated because you can imagine they don't, you know, the cath lab team doesn't want to come if they don't have to. A cardiologist doesn't want to come in if they don't have to. Nobody wants to do it if they don't have to. So I think this is going to call us as all professionals, if we're going to function as a system, we're all going to have a higher level of function we're going to have to reach to. So when you're taking care of your patients in the in the field, we're going to have to say it's not just a STEMI, but is it appropriate for the cath lab? And this is where your command call, command can help in, and we can talk about the case while you're responding. The key is not to do this before you activate, but while you're getting to the hospital. So so that I'm clear about that, if come in within five minutes, you see a STEMI, you activate. Then while you're going to the hospital, you can talk about, well, does this patient have a terminal illness? That would be a patient that probably is not appropriate for the cath lab. Uh, if this, is this patient unconscious or unable to give consent? Well, that patient might not be a candidate for the cath lab, and you might need to stop in the emergency department. These are discussions and conversations you should have in route, not before you activate, but while you're in route. And that's an important consideration. That's interesting because I think there might be some that would have those conversations before so they don't look silly by activating the STEMI team. And I think that's a, a really a, a, an important kind of – we talk about – people talk about tipping points, and this is actually where it tipped over where cardiologists and cath labs have said, we accept that overcall rate. We want you to try to help us not do that because it's very, you know, because they all have, everybody has jobs and lives and they don't want to come in if they don't want to. And that's inappropriate. We all have to be stewards of resources in our systems. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and everybody feels that, that responsibility. The key though, you don't want to delay your response or activating simply by doing that at the, at the front end. You do that while you're responding. They'd be very happy if you're riding in and you call me and say, well, you know, this person came from a nursing home and they actually have a, you know, do not resuscitate order. Well, uh, that's probably not a good patient to go to the cath lab. Mm -hmm. It's good that you activated. No problem. Bring them to the emergency department. Let's figure out what we want to do from here. Mm -hmm. And so those are things that we want to do in route while we're uh, b rather than beforehand. And I think that's an important little distinguishing thing that you have to work through within your command structure. Mm -hmm. So from a practical standpoint, a provider standpoint, they may be unseen where they're treating a person who's been to the local physician, the local hospital their entire lives, and now they're in the process of trying to convince them that they need to go downtown or to a specialty center where they've never been before. And that's sometimes an issue unseen as well. No, that can be difficult, but I think uh, many people are used to that already because we do that for trauma. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. if someone's in a motor vehicle crash and they say they want to go to a non-trauma center, we say, uh, no, we're not going to do that. That's not good for you. Uh, you go to pick up someone and they're hemiplegic or they're not moving the right side and they can't talk and they say, I want to go to my local hospital. You go, uh, no, we're not going to do that. That's not good for you. In this case, also, you're having ST, now remember, this is ST segment elevation myocardial infarction, not any myocardial right. infarction. Exactly. Good point. That bears repeating. It's a ST segment elevation myocardial infarction. It says acute MI. Those are the ones you say, I want to go to my local hospital. You go, uh, no. You need to go to a place where we can open this up right away, even if it means flying you by helicopter because time, much like in trauma and much like in stroke, you need to get to that therapy right away. 
Yeah. And I want to talk about the time frames in a second, but just to remind everybody, we're talking to Dr. Bruce McLeod, who is the co-chair of Mission Lifeline at, for Western Pennsylvania American Heart Association and also the medical director for West Penn ED. So let's talk about the time elements. There's the time from the uh, the patient has their infarct to the time it's recognized as systemic to the time they get their balloon. There are many different time elements here. No, there are. And uh, the, the more that we can, we know that if you can, and our goal is, the goal we're shooting for, and this is where we have to integrate as a system, and this is going to be calling pre-hospital providers to integrate with hospitals. Now, I don't want anybody to fall over when they hear that, but we actually want you to work with your hospitals to improve this. Because that's what's going to, from the patient's perspective, they expect us to do that. We're not. We don't do that. But they expect us to, and so we need to do that. And really, it's best for patient care. We need to what it, and the, the goal is going to be from first medical contact to balloon opening, 90 minutes. Now, when we first started uh, looking at data, we started with 120 minutes from door to balloon. And when they said, hey, listen, we think you should do this 90, everybody said, oh, they became apoplectic. There's no way we can do that. Well, we do that 98% of the time now. So now let's get it to the more of a patient focus from the first medical contact to balloon, 90 minutes. Now, when you do that, you start thinking, okay, that's from when the paramedic, when you guys actually see them in the field to the time they open the balloon, everything has got to go well. And the only way you can do it, the only way that can happen on a regular basis, not just exceptionally, but all the time, is if you activate from the field. If you wait to activate by the time you get to the emergency department, we will not be able to do it in 90 minutes. You must activate from the field because your response time, whatever it is, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, that means we can get the rest of the system in place. You put the processes in parallel as opposed to in series we can achieve this for the benefit of the patient. So we've talked about the fact that the EMS has to be right on top of it here as far as if the patient has myocardial infarction symptoms to get the 12 lead on and recognize whether it's a STEMI or not. So it's a little bit different because, as you say, we're kind of taking things out of order is the way we were all trained. But once we do identify the STEMI, we know that we need to activate the cath lab and activate the receiving hospital and, and other things. But we're, we're different in EMS these days. We don't just throw mass trousers and things like that on a truck just Thank because goodness. we think they work, right? So uh, although you'll find 9 out of 10 people say they've seen them work, but the fact is is that uh, there's a lot of data behind this. It, it might be unique at this point coming to the forefront, but it's not unique to medicine in general at this point, in cardiac medicine. No, it's a good point. I think that the lesson we've, we've learned, hopefully as time has gone on, is just because it works doesn't mean it's going to work in the pre-hospital setting. And I think that we need to be very careful and really fund our the research so that we know that what we do in the pre-hospital setting makes a difference. In this case, uh, what we're talking about on this podcast, while novel, is not new. There's other places in the country where this has been done and they've published about it, even as far back as 2007. Mm -hmm. So it's really about implementing a best practice, which really, you think about it, wait a minute here, we're now in 2013, we're talking six years later from public. This, is, this means there are parts of the country which are doing what I've just described already and have been doing it for six years. And you know what? That means the care of their patients is probably better than what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. So that really, and so the place they did it was actually in the uh, Minneapolis area. And what they did is just as we talked about, trying to improve the care of the patient being transported in. They did a lot of the things that we talked about in terms of, um, in, they had 18 agencies uh, in a 45 mile radius. So that's a, you know, it's a pretty big area. It's a pretty, and it's in an urban center. 
Uh, they actually had 14 non-PCI referring, meaning non-percutaneous intervention. So these were the referring hospitals. So these would be the hospitals that don't actually do the artery opening therapy. They included them. So this goes not just in the city of Pittsburgh, not just around Erie, but all the way out into the, to the rural areas as well. And in this study, the EMS was empowered to interpret the pre-hospital ECG and to activate the cardiac catheterization lab when the STEMI was diagnosed. There was no overreading by the emergency physician or by the cardiologist in order to activate. And that's an important issue because some places still want, you know, the docs want to overread it because they had that one case. I remember when. Okay, good for you. That <laughs> happened. So the question gets to be, well, how many times do, you know, is it incorrect in terms of interpretation? In this study, they actually looked at it and the accuracy rates comparing the EMS, the emergency departments from referring hospitals and the hospitals which had the STEMI activation centers were 75, 76, and 81, no significant difference, okay? Mm -hmm. So EMS activation, well-trained, following protocols, are no substantial difference. There's always going to be a case where you have ST segment elevation that turns out not to have anything. I just had one in the emergency department the other day. Fella came in, did the 12 lead, um, had ST segment elevation. We activated. He went up to the cardiac catheterization lab, and his coronary arteries were clean. Did not have to put any stent in or do any balloon. That could be vasospasm. It could be a number of other things. We know that 10% of the time when they take him to the cath lab with a STEMI that everybody agrees says ST segment elevation on the electrocardiogram, there's nothing there. Okay, so it's not a perfect test. No test is perfect. So we just have to acknowledge that, and that's the same thing with pre-hospital care. So in this study, there was no overread required in, in order to activate, and that's an important point. No overread required to activate. So that means you get it within five minutes, send it off, you activate. Everybody's moving. Not, not it can't. It shouldn't be. Send me the EKG, then we'll activate. Okay, it's not that. Because that, if you think about when that's been done, even though we do it with smartphones, whatever, that still takes time. And if you're trying to get to 90 minutes from first medical contact to balloon, you're not going to get there if you have to have overreads. Yeah. And this is not the time for anybody listening to this podcast to nod off because we're talking about blah, blah, blah research. This is the information that tells us why we should be doing what we're doing and helps us explain why we're even in this healthcare continuum at this process. Well, what we're also trying to do is that I'm uh, trying to provide you information. So if someone says, I think you should do this because we're different, I'm giving you information so you can say, well, I heard that actually our interpretations and accuracy rates aren't that different. So you actually probably don't have to do that. So it's, it's based on data, not just because you think it should be that yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, and I just give you a, a way to kind of work through the political landmine of implementing this in your area in case somebody says they don't want to do it. Uh, in the study also, they looked at uh, the times from uh, when the EMS came in and it was activated ahead of time for those that walked in the emergency department and the ones that actually came in through the uh, EMS actually went faster than those that came right in through the emergency department because they were able to put their systems in parallel and the outcomes were just as good. So what they found is that they were able to do hyperacute care almost. And they were able to get times that were extraordinary because people could come in at the same time. There was no real, almost, almost no benefit from coming in to the emergency department because they come into the emergency department. I still have to call the cath lab. They have to all do that. They sit in the emergency department that whole time. Mm -hmm. No time saved there. So if we activate from the field, we're actually able to match those times as well and outcomes. And that's most important. One of the other things that have come up, and I've mentioned this before, is that as you have more responsibility in 
in terms of activating the whole system with this. I think that also each of us that are part of it, it's not just, and again, it's not to lay all the responsibility on the paramedic activating because I, I fear that sometimes folks will feel like, oh gosh, I can, you know, this is going to be something I don't want to do this and make a mistake. It's not that. We're all a system. We have to work together. So as command doc, if somebody activates, then what's going to happen is that as you're responding, then we're going to go through some criteria to make sure that this is, you know, an appropriate activation. We're going to ask things like, uh, did it say acute MI on the 12 lead? And I'm going to ask you, does that fit with your clinical impression? Because sometimes you can have acute MI can be a misread by the machine. And if you say, well, doc, no, it doesn't look like a 12. It, you know, this person's just talking to me and laughing. I don't think they're having an MI. That doesn't fit. I need to know you're my eyes and ears in the field. I need to know if you clinically suspect acute ST segment myocardial infarction. And those folks are sick. So if you say this doesn't really fit, then I would say we should not activate the cath lab because something's not fitting here. Okay. I would ask you a question. I mean, do they any have any long-term disease, any terminal disease? I mean, if they do, then we should probably stop for a second there and think about whether this is the right thing to do. And then again, if they're not able to give consent, meaning they're not conscious enough or they have a power of attorney or something like that, then we should stop and kind of go through this in a more thoughtful process. But that being said, those are pretty, pretty sensible, pretty mm -hmm. common sense things right. to think about. It's just we need to articulate those so that uh, it's not just, oh, I see a STEMI and I'm all done. It's not that. We need to be, we're all responsible for the resources that we ex expend on this, whether it's activating the trauma system or activating the stroke system or activating the STEMI system. We all have to put it together. It's not just a paramedic. It's also the emergency physician that's giving command. All those steps along the way that help us to figure out the right thing to do so that we're all doing it the right way for the benefit of the patient in the long run. So in talking about the first medical contact and getting to the balloon, we're also thinking about the rural EMS where they may have they may not have a STEMI center close and go to the local hospital. That all folds into that 90-minute time as well, right? Absolutely, and thank you for bringing that up because it's really important because sometimes your local hospital can be afraid if you're not bringing all the chest pain patients or the MI patients to their hospital, they're worried that they're losing that volume. Uh, to that, I would say that the, we're talking about a small number of patients, either just the ST segment myocardial infarction. And if we're trying to look from first medical contact to balloon, that includes those patients that goes, go, have to go to the community hospital. And one of the things we've found in looking at the data in our region and also nationally is that if you go to another hospital, your times are extraordinarily long, which means your outcomes are not going to be as good. So we need to find some way to either facilitate that system through the hospital or else bypass them. So that would mean that if you're in a rural setting, much like for trauma, much like for stroke, you should be considering helicopter transport if that is part of what's around you and if that can actually facilitate and improve the time. And so the way to do that is you actually have to sit down in the clear light of day and look at your response area and say, okay, what's the best way if I go to um, up in my northern area and I have a patient that has ST segment elevation, what is the quickest way to get to a STEMI center? Now, that may also bring up the issue of you may not go to the STEMI receiving hospital that you usually go to because it may not be the closest one. You need to go to the closest one, and it's about a 10 minutes. If there's a difference in 10-minute flight time, you should go to the closest one, which may not be the one you usually go to, and that's a very important issue. We've got to do what's right for the patient, which may sometimes cross over to what are some 
oftentimes our allegiances of different response systems are. And actually, that becomes almost a logistical exercise that you should do within your pre-hospital system there and say, where should I take, if I have a patient in, if you go to Titusville, if I have a patient with ST segment elevation MI, where should they go? What is the closest place? What's the fastest way to get there? And have that planned out. The best way to be that every paramedic knows that when, on every response, if I have an ST segment elevation MI, I know where they're going and how they're going to get there, and they don't have to make that decision at the field. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. When you go there and they're having a STEMI, those people are four plus sick. You know the time matters, and that's a high crisis. That's not when you want to make those decisions. I've mm-hmm. always found that the best thing to do is to pre-think these situations, and then when you get there, you go, well, I've thought about this. I know this is the answer. I don't have to think about it. I just do it because I've thought about it. We've all talked about it. We've agreed to do it. That's the way we do it. Yeah. And in those cases, helicopter transport may be the right thing to do. Um, it probably is a number of uh, different situations. So um, it's important to logistically think through that because that may be the, rather than taking them to the local hospital, have them go through the emergency department there, then that just delays things. We know that once you go into the emergency department of your community hospital, it's a prolonged time. It's just really hard to make things go quickly there. Mm-hmm. And the same protocol probably, or the same thought process probably plays is never sit and wait either, right? Move, always move the patient towards some type of facility. Okay. If they if they call the helicopter, that's a big change to what we're doing now. I mean, yeah. most, you know, they have an MI, they say, oh, bring them to the hospital, and we'll go from there. Okay. Um, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to work with the community hospital as referring hospitals and identify and recognize those that have actually done this thought process and say, listen, if you have a STEMI, we want you to call the helicopter, bypass us, and go directly. Mm -hmm. And recognize that higher performance and that higher commitment to patient care, and they can become recognized actually through Mission Lifeline and American Mm -hmm. Heart Association as well. Okay. So let's just address again the instance where the EMS has called called a STEMI in the field and they arrive and it's a false positive. We talked earlier about there's a 15% margin there, but let's just kind of get a little more in-depth into that. Sure. No, I I think if you analogize a little bit with trauma, I mean, there are trauma alerts that go out that the patient comes in and they turn out not to have any injuries. Thank goodness. And, you know, nobody faults anybody for that because you want to bring those resources to bear so in case you have to do something right away, it can be done. I think that we have to uh, uh, kind of similarly apply that logic to STEMIs as well because we know what needs to be done. Time is of the essence, and we know that the false positive rate or the error rate is about 15%. And we can drive that's 15% before trying to do anything about it. It actually can be less than that. It turns out that the ECGs and the interpretations done by the computer are actually pretty good. So if you see star, 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 acute MI, star, 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 there's a pretty good chance they're having an acute MI. Now, we also know that 10% of the time when the computer or the human evaluates it and sees a STEMI, that there's normal coronaries. There's nothing found on cardiac catheterization. So even that is not 100% right. Um, but that's not meaning you were wrong. It just means that we know that there was either vasospasm or some other problem happened that it resolved on its own. Um, and the cardiologist will tell you that sometimes these clots are so fresh and they're so, they're so poorly organized that sometimes they resolve on their own and go away on their own, even by giving the heparin or giving the aspirin or just the kind of what we do to start with before the balloon, that they actually kind of resolve quickly. We don't know everything about everything yet. Sometimes we think we do, but we don't. And in this case, I think there's 10% of the time, even if you see ST segment elevation MI 
on your ECG, there's nothing there. So that being said, um, the cardiologists and all the system, this is where we need to recognize that sometimes there'll be an overcall rate. You know, you don't find that there's uh, anything wrong. And so by doing that, that uh, we need to recognize that uh, that's going to happen some of the time. The key is, is that if you, it has to match up what you see clinically. It has to be, and we're kind of asking for it to look, to say star, 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 acute MI. If it doesn't say that, if it, for some reason, the machine doesn't recognize it, then that's okay. I need to know, that's why we want to train all paramedics to do ECG interpretation in case there's some failure of the machine interpretation. You can then say, listen, I, this is an acute MI. This is what I see. We would activate in that case also. Mm-hmm. We want it to be both ways because we need to have... In any system, you want to have overlap. You want to have that Swiss cheese so that there's no errors made because what's at risk here is good patient outcomes. So as we start to bring this to a close, we're talking to Dr. Bruce McLeod, the medical director for West Penn ED and the co-chairperson for the American Heart Association Mission Lifeline. What are some of the things, again, going back over, we want to make sure the EMS providers take away from this, including the change, somewhat change in their serial process of assessment? Well, the first thing would be that when you get into uh, when you get on scene is to get that 12 lead right away because that's the ticket that greases the wheels, that crystallizes everything going down the road, and it can really get things going. It's so important to get that going and get that information out as quickly as possible. So from arrival, within five minutes, a 12 lead, and you call command, I've got a STEMI, where's it going, and then we can activate that system. That's gets the whole thing going. Then in route, we can have the discussions about whether it's an appropriate activation, whether they have a terminal disease, whether they're conscious, or any other concerns that are going on. But meanwhile, activate the system. Let's get everybody getting there, and then we can figure out if it's the right thing to do. Some, and I think that's extremely important. I think it's important that the paramedics also are well-trained in interpretation of 12 leads so that in the event that the machine's not working or right, they can still say, listen, this is an acute MI doc. Let's get this started and go from there. That's equally important. We also recognize there's some false positives. These do happen. There's some wiggle room in the whole system. We're going to work to try to make that as minimal as possible because we're all responsible for resources, but it's there. It's going to happen, and there's, that's not a fault of anybody. It's just part of the system, just like traumas, just like strokes. Not everybody that comes through the whole process ends up requiring uh, those, you know, whether it's TPA for stroke or trauma team intervention. Same thing with STEMIs now. There's going to be some that are false positive, and that's, not, and that's just going to be part of the system. What's the future of the research in this? What's the next thing we're looking at as far as STEMIs? Well, the next, the next level would be that, well, if you are so good about uh, activating this, whether you can take the 12 lead and just activate it and have it where it goes directly to your call center as soon as you do it without this whole calling process, and then the, all the calls go out. If you think about it, we all have smartphones. You could imagine a time where you do a 12 lead that says star, 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 acute MI, and the pages go out and people start coming in even before there's that communication. Mm-hmm. And each minute matters here. We're talking about 90 minutes from first medical contact to balloon. So anything you can do to reduce that is important. I think it's the, really the, the tough challenge is going to be when they come from non-STEMI hospitals and making those that care speedy and fast and how do we overlap processes there because those are where long delays are um, and then really the the holy grail of this is if you take it from the patient's perspective it's really from when symptom onset starts and so how to get this public to recognize it to activate um, the medical system so that we can get there and help them as quickly as possible and that's the holy grail for the next level 
Dr. Bruce McLeod, co-chairperson of the Mission Lifeline at American Heart Association of Western Pennsylvania, medical director of West Penn ED. Appreciate you being with us. Oh, thank you very much. My pleasure.